Hello, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is August the 3rd, 2022, and for all of you fruit lovers out there, it is National Watermelon Day, which of course is the state vegetable of Oklahoma because we don't know the difference. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and as a resident of the state of Oklahoma, I do enjoy eating watermelon on a regular basis. And joining me is my co-host, and I'm sure fellow gourd aficionado, Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. And welcome, Tom. I'm just going to step aside and have some watermelon myself. It's delicious. Well, make sure you spit out the seeds because you're going to want to leave room for all the great news that we have coming up. It's been a really busy week, so we're going to dive right into it. Um, so Cohesity, you may be familiar with the company. They've made a big splash this week with news that they have a new CEO. Sanjay Poonin, who's the former COO of VMware, has taken the top spot for the backup giant. Per news reports, former CEO Mohit Aaron personally called Poonin to ask him to take the helm of Cohesity so that Aaron could kind of step back and focus a little bit more on day-to-day, uh, well, focus less on day-to-day operations, focus more on the engineering side of the house. Uh, now, you probably heard that there's some rumors about a pending IPO that Cohesity is about ready to hit the market and, and rake in a ton of cash. Uh, however, the state of the market has a lot of people concerned about how much money they're actually going to get out of that IPO, and the investors are starting to get a little bit cagey when it comes to tech stocks. Um, Stephen, Mohit Aaron has been at the helm of Cohesity the entire time that they've been a company. Is this going to be a changing of the guard, or are the uh, are the people looking for more of a steady hand to guide Cohesity kind of into the IPO market? Yeah, I think this is actually a sign of maturity on behalf of uh, Mohit Aaron and the Cohesity board and, and Cohesity as a company, because uh, again and again, we'll see uh, companies that have a sort of a visionary uh, startup CEO, and then they try to grow big behind that CEO, and it just doesn't work because, frankly, uh, a big public company has to have maybe a different kind of leadership. Now, some people are able to make that jump um, and some people can't. And that's not a reflection on those people as much as it is a reflection of the different skills required to run a big public company versus uh, running a a scrappy startup. So uh, personally, I've known uh, Sanjay Poonin and Mohit Aaron for a long time. Uh, I've talked with them many, many times and I respect them quite a lot. Um, And I think that this is really a great uh, move for the company. I'm sure that it is difficult for uh, Aaron to step aside and, and, and make room for someone, especially someone who is, um, I don't want to say a rival, but, uh, you know, certainly, uh, certainly they know each other and certainly this has got to sting a little bit to turn over the reins to somebody else. But that being said, um, you know, Sanjay Poonin has a great, uh, um, uh, he's very respected in the industry. He's got a lot of um experience that he's going to bring to this. And frankly, I think that this is the surest sign yet that we're going to see a uh, Cohesity IPO in the future, because frankly, uh, that's what Poonin is there for. Tom, Arista made another big acquisition in the networking space. Uh, This week, they announced the purchase of Pluribus Networks for an undisclosed amount. The acquisition marries the adaptive cloud fabric of Pluribus uh, to the existing Arista converged cloud fabric offering. Uh, Pluribus has gone through several iterations of their offering, many of them shown at Networking Field Day over the past eight years. One of the keys to the success for Pluribus, though, is the decentralized nature of their fabric, which should integrate nicely with Arista's cloud vision. Tom, uh, what do you make of this pickup by Arista? So I actually think this is a really good move for Arista because they're kind of focusing on doing a lot with this fabric 
um, offering that they've had. And, you know, they're Arista. They, they, well, let me quote Doug Gourlay from many, many years ago. They make 10 gig data center switches. Well, that's not true anymore. They actually make a lot more than that, but they're really very focused on the, the, the switching aspect of things. And, and, you know, we've seen Arista a number of times at, at uh, networking field day and, and many other events over the years, but, but Pluribus is a very interesting thing because like they originally didn't start out building a fabric. They were doing a lot of other things. And so they, they've pivoted a couple of times along the way. Uh, most recently, if you go to gestaltit.com and you, you uh, search for Pluribus, you can actually find that uh, last year we did a uh, showcase with them, a Tech Field Day showcase, where we talked a little bit about some of the EVPN, BGP stuff that they're doing. But a lot of it comes down to simplicity. Like what they want is they want you to be able to log in and set this fabric up really quickly, which is something that I think has been missing from a lot of these technologies um, as of late, it, it's really easy to operate. Yeah, yeah, totally. Once you get that car driving down the road, it's really easy to just, you know, let it drive itself. Um, if we'll use Tesla as an example, but, uh, look at all the stuff you've got to do in order to make sure that it just works before you do that. You got to install a charger in your house and you got to do all this other stuff and you got to like do all the tweaking. And I think that that's the part that a lot of people get hung up on because they just kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, well, forget it. I'll just take the bus. Whereas Pluribus has done a lot on the upfront side to make sure that their fabrics are easy to deploy. And now with adding the power of cloud vision and integrating this all into uh, Arista's uh, cloud fabric offerings, I think what you're going to see is it's going to be easier to get Arista up and running, and it's going to be a whole lot easier to operate it after the fact. So I think that this is a big pickup. The, the fact that the amount was undisclosed kind of makes me wonder if Pluribus was starting to get to the end of their runway. Uh, we've talked a lot recently about the fact that there's been a huge funding crunch in the tech space, both from the fact that the venture capitalists are pulling back the amount of funding that they're offering, but also the tech stocks in the, in the public sector are taking a beating. So I think what's happened is, is that a lot of companies have had to be really honest with themselves and uh, maybe the time for their exit strategy to be acquisition, maybe not for as much as they had hoped, is fast approaching. But, you know, congratulations to the team from Pluribus and congratulations to the folks at, uh, at Ariston that is, they're very, uh, you know, uh, they're very much looking forward to the way that they're going to be able to integrate Pluribus into their offerings. All right, Stephen, speaking of acquisitions, if you were hoping to pick up a next-gen Intel, Intel Xeon scalable processor, which uh, has now been codenamed Sapphire Rapids for a while, yeah, you're going to need to be a little bit more patient. Well, that's because the fourth-gen chips are going to be delayed for a while. Industry analysts had been expecting the Sapphire Rapids chips to come out eh, probably by the end of this year, but there is a long list of issues that need to be resolved before they're ready for prime time. Um, that means that the launch window for these chips has been pushed back to mid-February of 2023 or possibly even all the way out to March. Now, this is significantly far behind where we thought Sapphire Rapids was going to be coming out. I mean, the chip was supposed to be out like a year ago, and that's going to cause some problems because if it was supposed to be cutting edge technology when it came out, that means that all the other companies have had a chance to catch up and maybe even surpass it in what they've developed. Um, Steven, are we ever going to see these Sapphire Rapids chips? Uh, we're definitely going to see them. Um, and in fact, uh, despite what uh, Igor Waleski says in his in his blog post, some people are already seeing them now. Um, there certainly are pre-release chips out there. Um, early customers apparently are taking uh, earlier steppings in the, by the end of this year. 
But one thing that he points out is that the chip has gone through a lot of revisions on the way to production. In fact, uh, 12 steppings before, uh, before launch. That's a lot. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Intel chips understand that a stepping is basically a, a revision to the hardware. And uh, traditionally, there have been some steppings prior to launch and then a few others after launch in order to address any kind of issues. Uh, 12 before launch is a lot. And it shows that Intel has been fighting to try to get this thing to market. I think that it's important to recognize that this has not been an easy uh, path for Intel. I mean, this is a, a chip that's using a new process node technology. It's also using a new chip based technology. In other words, um, it's a tiled architecture. Uh, each tile contains 15 cores, and then they're able to put those tiles together into multi-core, uh, multi-tile modules. So the Sapphire Rapids chip apparently will get up to 60 cores on a single CPU socket, but that uh, 60 cores is actually four full tiles, and those tiles are in interconnected, uh, as we've talked about previously on the show, with an interconnect bridge, as well as supporting uh, chip uh, ancillary chips. All of that is a lot of work. It's a new technology, and frankly, it's not a surprise that it's been uh, a while coming. But as you point out, um, this roadmap has been delayed significantly. Now, the Sapphire Rapids roadmap has not been delayed as significantly as the entire roadmap has. In other words, if you, uh, if you look at the expected plan from like five years ago, Sure, Sapphire Rapids was supposed to come out last year and compete with uh, the current uh, AMD uh, CPU lineup. Now it's going to come out end of this year, early next year, and complete, compete with the next generation uh, AMD CPU, which has a lot of uh, benefits of its own. That's a challenge for Intel, and it's been a problem in the third generation Xeon scalable chips as well. But that being said, if Intel can get this thing to work, which I am sure that they're working very hard to do, and given the fact that they've got uh, pre-production samples uh, in, in, in hands, apparently, uh, they seem to have been able to do that. If they can do this, uh, this new technology actually puts them on a much better footing because Sapphire Rapids, as I said, integrates this uh, chiplet technology in a way and, and, and new Intel process node technology in a way that it lets Intel continue to develop. And hopefully, uh, I'm sure that everybody in the company is working very hard to make sure that this is not the sign of yet another delay for the next next generation chip. I think it's also important to add one more thing, and that's that Intel is currently apparently shipping their ARC uh, GPU line. Uh, that's another thing that uh, Igor covered on his uh, in his uh, website. Uh, those uh, cards are coming out now, uh, and they seem to offer well pretty decent performance at a good price level. And uh, that technology as well is going to be integrated into this uh, chiplet-based architecture. So we'll see some really interesting uh, combinations of cores and graphics parts coming in the future from Intel too. Tom, security startup Oxi has announced a new vulnerability in Golang that's right to be exploited. According to their research department, the vulnerability can occur when two different versions of Golang are passing parameters to each other via an HTTP request. The parsing error can allow arguments to be passed through protections and allow unintended access. The vulnerability is aided by the growing adoption of Golang as a programming language of choice for cloud-enabled organizations. Oxi recommends up updating Golang to the latest version, 1.17, or sanitizing the queries before they have a chance to be exploited. Tom, is this just another uh, huge exploit? 
It's funny that we one of the reasons why this exploit actually came out was because we've we've tried to do away with these giant monoliths. I actually got a chance to talk to Daniel Abelis, who's the head of research for Oxide. And it was kind of fascinating because, you know, this is a little security startup that's kind of focused on doing Kubernetes security, right? Well, why are they looking at Golang? Well, it turns out that it's it's kind of fascinating. So the short, short version is that because of the way that it handles parsed inputs, um, it used to be that before version 1.17, um, it would just accept a semicolon in, in the in the request, which is not valid. Well, post 1.17, it will throw an error when it sees a semicolon. The problem is, is that there's a way to get the semicolon to go through with like a, a the way that it parses the query. Okay, doesn't sound like a bad idea, right? Except what happens if there's a version mismatch on the two ends? Like, let's say, for example, the public-facing side is running version 1.17 because there's a bug that you need to make sure that people can exploit. But now I can parse that query and pass it through to the back end, which hasn't been upgraded yet because we don't upgrade the stuff on the back end if it's not broken, right? Well, what's going to happen if it gets something that has that semicolon tagged on the end of it? Um, that means you could possibly query for databases that you shouldn't be able to list. And how many times have we seen that where it's like, oh, look, I can just ask for the name of everybody in your database. That couldn't be a problem. Um, so there are ways to stop this, obviously, you know, upgrade everything to the latest version, which I know kind of sounds a little crazy, like running the latest version of the software will fix the bugs. Um, you can also sanitize your query inputs so that you're not allowing semicolons to happen at all so that people can't bypass the parsing mechanism. But I, I talked to him and I said, you know, is this going to be a big deal? Because, you know, it kind of feels like it's kind of a, a one-off thing. And they said, well, when you look at the fact that we're effectively dealing with a green field in the cloud right now, because so many people are just rushing to use Golang as their, their language of choice for doing a lot of this stuff, you kind of realize that, like, you know, we found all the bugs in C, mostly, um, because, like, we've been working with it for so long. So we know all the weird stuff that can happen, especially when we do version upgrades. But we don't have that in Golang because it's effectively like, you know, it's brand new uh, institutional learning. And so companies like Oxi are super important to be able to keep an eye on this because how many times have you done something unintentionally? Like upgrading things is good, but if you don't upgrade all of the things so that they all match, you're opening yourself up to these gaps that that could potentially be exploited without your knowledge. And that's why it was really exciting to be able to talk to Dean and the rest of his team from Oxi because like, that's that what they do. I mean, you know, it, to me, it's funny that a company that has, you know, a few dozen employees, of, I say a few dozen, and there's, there's quite a few people working there. They have a research department. We need more research departments, especially in security. Like, like we need people that were willing to go out and say, hey, you know, we're, we're just going to try to break this and see what happens. So bravo to the folks from Oxeye for, for all their hard work. And, and I hope that a lot of people out there take this as seriously as it, as it really is. All right, Stephen. Um, it's Flash Memory Summit this week, and uh, there is some news that coming is coming out, especially around CPU interconnects. Now, you may recall, if you're a fan of the rundown, that back in November, we talked about Gen Z joining forces with a CXL consortium and it becoming the new de facto standard for CPU and device interconnects. Well, this week, CXL announced that OpenCAPI will be folded into the consortium as well. Now, if you're not familiar with that, OpenCAPI is actually older than CXL, and it was backed by AMD and IBM as kind of an open extension of IBM's Coherent Accelerator Process Interface, C-A-P-I. The largest use so far of OpenCAPI has been, surprisingly, in IBM's power architecture. So they've really been consuming the thing that they developed and hoping that it caught on in the industry. However, 
this is yet another CPU interconnect that's effectively seeding the field to the behemoth that is CXL. Steven, does this mean that CXL has effectively won? Well, CXL already won last year, and uh, by absorbing Gen Z, they were effectively uh, putting a, a, a crown on their head and saying, you know, we win. The one thing that CXL uh, had a challenge with, though, and I suspect that this is what's going on here, is patents. So IBM has been working on uh, OpenCAPI for a long time. As you said, IBM has a lot of patents in this space. And frankly, IBM also wanted to have an open uh, cash coherent interconnect API. They did implement it in their power uh, CPUs, as you mentioned, but uh, AMD did not end up using it. Instead, uh, they just went with uh, hypertransport and, um, and now are looking, looking at CXL. So the writing was on the wall anyway. By joining forces, what this means is that IBM gets access to the next generation technology and all the patents that are involved uh, now uh, folded into CXL. And the CXL consortium also gets access to any of IBM's work. Uh, they're saying it's all about technology, but I think that that's, this is really all about the industry kind of circling their wagons and making sure that no one's going to sue anybody else into oblivion for something that is basically the next generation of computer architecture. Now, what does this mean, really? Well, the, the, all of this is about uh, disaggregation. That's really what the, the, the story is here. The idea is that instead of having all of your peripherals and indeed all of your memory and all of your CPUs in the same box, you would be able to have them outside the box and distributed and much more flexible. And you could build a server basically on the fly based on the components that that server needed at the time. So imagine being able to say, I need 12 CPU cores, a terabyte of memory, you know, uh, I don't know, a petabyte of uh, NVMe connected storage, uh, you know, I don't know, 400 gigabit ethernet links and a uh, machine learning uh, accelerator. And I want all of those now. I don't want to have to reconfigure or rebuild anything. And I want them all to act roughly as if they were in the same chassis. That's what CXL promises. Now, short term, what CXL gives us is lots and lots of memory for servers, because all of these things, whether it was Gen Z or OpenCAPI or CXL 1.0, is all about getting beyond the number of RAM chips you can cram into a server. And the idea is that basically you've got the server filled with RAM, and then you've got maybe some slower RAM external to the server that you access through CXL or those other interconnects. And then the server has all the RAM it can possibly eat. Uh, that's certainly something that Micron is attracted to as a maker of RAM, but it's also something that basically every company in the industry is attracted to because basically servers are always starved of memory and CXL gives them that memory. Now, I will point out that uh, Flash Memory Summit also saw the launch of some other things, including um, compute-enabled uh, SSDs uh, with CXL, a CXL memory expansion module from SK Hynix and CXL 3.0, but that just came out. So we don't have that news yet. We'll cover that one next week. Yeah. Well, we do have one more story that we need to talk about. And, and quite honestly, it's been a long time since we've, we've said the words Intel and bombshell in, in a, in a, in a sentence, but uh, I think we, this kind of uh, needs a little bit of a closer look. You're probably familiar with the word Optane. It should be familiar to almost everyone in the IT industry because it was heralded as, as many 
as a revolution in computer architecture, you know, the promise of persistent memory computing is right over that hill, just on the horizon. We can see it coming and it's going to change the way we do everything. Well, unfortunately, that horizon faded away this week because Intel made a small mention in their Q2 earnings report that they're winding down the Optane memory business and they buried it in a forward-looking footnote statement. Um, what else they buried in a small table was the fact that they're going to take a $550 million impairment to wind down Optane. And in case you were curious, Intel's Q2 revenue was down 400 and something million. So do the math on that one. Um, Steven, there's a lot to unpack here. And I know that you spent a lot of time this weekend trying to get to the bottom of what's going on here. Why is Intel doing away with Optane? Well, I think the bottom line is this is Pat Gelsinger doing Pat Gelsinger stuff. I mean, you know, he takes a look, he takes a hard look at what the company's doing and he's trying to get the company on the right footing to grow and compete in the future. And frankly, uh, Optane, unfortunately, was hit by some uh, bunch of negative factors that kept it from meeting its potential. That being said, I think it's important to point out that Optane is not yet dead. In fact, Intel has not made any announcement whatsoever about the products uh, that use Optane or the Optane product itself. All they've said is that they're canceling the uh, development, the, the division that, uh, that had been working on producing that. And if uh, rumors are to be to believe, Intel has a huge stash of Optane memory chips from the Lehigh Utah fab that they had shared with Micron. So frankly, I don't think that Optane is dead by any means. In fact, I think that this is gonna be a, a sort of a dawn of Optane with the third generation Xeon scalable processors known as Ice Lake. In other words, um, uh, we everyone is finding out just how good this technology is with the Ice Lake server CPUs. Uh, we just covered that in a uh, white paper that we're writing here at Gestalt IT. And we decided that um, the Xeon plus Optane plus accelerators uh, combination was the best server architecture for 2022. And uh, that paper comes out next month, so uh, we'll talk about it then. But the point is, um, this is good technology. It works. Uh, there's plenty of it out there. And now I think we're going to probably see a fire sale uh, where we'll be able to get a lot of Optane uh, pretty cheap. That's just good news for everybody. But that being said, clearly the technology has no future. It's not going to continue past the third generation Xeon scalable. We're not going to see the third generation of uh, persistent memory. Uh, and, and that's probably okay. Uh, if you were counting on Optane as a way to give you more system memory, you can use CXL to do that starting, well, now. And if you were counting on Optane as a way to give you faster access to, uh, to data, well, you can do that by either adding more memory or by using some of the latest uh, flash technologies. And that's basically what we've seen companies like Vast Data do, where they originally designed their system around Optane, but they now have made it so that it doesn't need Optane and it still works just as well. Ultimately, I think that's the reason that Intel is killing Optane. Frankly, the industry moved past it. Uh, Ice Lake was delayed and uh, Optane was delayed with it. And the industry is ready for the next generation and they don't need to spend all this money on this technology that offers benefits, yes, but maybe not sustainable benefits for the next five or 10 years. And if it's not gonna revolutionize computing, why put the time in? I, I would agree with you, Stephen, however, I. As, as is my right, I must play Advocatus Diaboli here 
and bring up the fact that, yes, Intel was a huge champion of this. However, it really only ran on Intel gear. Um, they're, all of their partners seem to be looking for different opportunities. Uh, the linked articles that we have, uh, both from Serve the Home and from uh, Blocks and Files, are great in talking about the fact that, you know, they were relying on Micron to build a lot of this stuff. But then when Ice Lake was delayed, Micron couldn't keep pumping the stuff, pumping the chips out because the inventory just kept backing up because they couldn't use them fast enough. Then they announced that they were, um, the, there was a huge issue back in February and the head of the Optane group just said, see ya and went to Western Digital. So I, I feel like even if Intel is still championing this, I feel like nobody else seems to care about it or at least doesn't care about it enough to make it worth Intel's while. Now, the other interesting thing is, is that when you look at the coverage of some of the other things they took impairment on, like they, they wrote down their drone business, right? Did you know that Intel had a drone business? If you did, you're doing better than me. So like, I feel like maybe this was like Pat trying to just load this quarter with all of the bad news. Like, like the, the, what is it? The, the quarter quarterless horribilis or whatever the other, you can tell how good I am at Latin. Um, but basically we're looking at the fact that they are like, they, they realize that this isn't going to fly. Right. So where do we put it? Do we put it all together and say, this is just a bad quarter and we're going to be better. Or do we spread the bad news out over the next four, five, six quarters, trying to hope that that it effectively gets buried in a footnote? Um, I like Pat's strategy. I'll, I'll be honest with you there. If if you're in for a penny, in for 300 and however many million pounds of bad news that you're going to get. But that means that Intel can stop and refocus. They can focus on getting Sapphire uh, rapids out the door. They can focus on the chiplet architecture that they're really embracing. They can focus on holding off ARM. Um, because let's be fair, like that, that's what they're worried about now. This isn't about expanding new frontiers. I mean, I was listening to some of the coverage from the Q2 uh, call, and one of the bright spots is the fact that Mobileye, remember them? We talked about them on the rundown late last year, too. Um, they're evidently not going to be spun off anytime soon because the market is horrible for tech stocks, but they were up 41% quarter over quarter. Like, that's a big deal. Like, the emerging technology that people are investing in is selling like hotcakes. The problem is, is that they could never make this take off. And maybe it was kind of a Keystone Cops thing where like Optane was the cart before the horse of Ice Lake that needed to come to drive adoption of it. And and I know it sucks to say that, but like sometimes you've got to get your timing right on this stuff. And maybe that's what happened here at Intel. So maybe I think back to IBM, like Blue Lightning was a great idea at the time. But it never took off because of Intel, because Intel managed to crush everybody else out of existence. So are we going to start seeing that kind of same thing from Intel now where like they have these really great ideas, but just like IBM, because of an execution issue, they just can't make it happen? Yeah, I think that that's really what's going on here. And I think that, that it was unfortunate timing, uh, an unfortunate coincidence with the tie to Ice Lake, uh, some manufacturing problems, that sort of thing. And basically, uh, you know, when you're in charge of the the big ship of Intel, you have to decide when to hold them and and when to fold them, right? And so you you look at it and you say, uh, is this drone business going to work? No, stop. Is this Optane business going to give us the benefits we wanted? No, you know, focus on on what's going to make a, a real uh, dramatic change. And that being said, you also have to look at the long term and say. Is this going to give us a long-term strategic advantage or is this just a short-term advantage? And I think that it's clear that Intel is really doubling down here on 
chiplets, on accelerators, on uh, disaggregation with CXL, and I guess they didn't need Optane. You know, time will tell if Intel's able to figure out what the best um, flow is going to be. Um, but, you know, the good news is, is that you're going to see it covered on the rundown every week because that's one of the things that we love to talk about is all the cool, exciting technologies that we're seeing. Some other cool, exciting things that we've got coming up are some things that you want to be aware of. The first one is actually uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's right. On August the 4th, we're going to be doing Networking Field Day Service Provider. Uh, we're, we've got great presentations from uh, Kentic as well as one of our community members, Chris Cummings. He's going to be talking a little bit about intent-based networking. I know that's something that you've heard about, but you're going to get a real look at it from a person who does intent-based networking on a regular basis. So make sure you tune in. We've got presentations happening all day, so check our calendar over at techfieldday.com to find out more. But at the end of the month, Stephen, you've got something coming up that people want to check out too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are very excited to be going back to VMware uh, Explore, the artist formerly known as VMworld. Uh, we'll be doing Tech Field Day presentations live from San Francisco on the Monday of the of VMware Explore conference. And of course, we're attending the Explore conference as uh, analysts, as press, as enthusiasts. And I really look forward to seeing what comes out of that. So please do tune in for our coverage from VMware Explore. One more thing I'd like to mention is that if you're interested in uh, learning more of my thoughts about the Intel Optane situation, I do have an episode of the Gestalt IT Checksum, which is our editorial series coming up, as well as the white paper I mentioned. Uh, we have are just putting the finishing touches on a 2022 uh, server architecture white paper, uh, which is admittedly sponsored by Intel. But uh, spoiler alert, the uh, recommendation is the third generation Xeon Scalable with Optane and other uh, you know, Intel accelerators. And I think that uh, you'll find that there's a lot of information in that white paper that will explain why we think that Optane is still an interesting technology. And you should look forward to tuning in to the Gestalt IT Rundown every Wednesday around 1230 Eastern Time. Uh, for all the latest and greatest tech news that comes out, you can watch us on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. Uh, you can read the show notes on our website at gestaltit.com. You can also subscribe to us in your favorite podcast application of choice if you prefer to get your news while you're on your morning walk or your evening uh, cycle ride, whatever it happens to be. We want to be sure that we're keeping you appraised of what's going on in the tech industry, who's buying whom, who's cutting what and what you need to be on the lookout for. And the fact that we've referenced the fact that we brought up a lot of these technologies over the course of the last six months to a year tells you that you can see what's coming, but you need to know who to listen to to know what's important, and that's what we're here for. So if you want to follow us, we're at Gestalt IT on Twitter. Um, if you want to tweet at us using the hashtag rundown, if you've got a story that you think would be interesting to hear about on the rundown and get our perspectives on it, we're more than happy to do that. Um, make sure that you are subscribed to our YouTube channel, that you follow us on Twitter. You won't want to miss a minute of all the cool things that we've got coming up. For myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for my amazing co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett, and for all the wonderful people at Gestalt IT to make this very possible for you each and every week, thank you very much for tuning in. Have a happy week, and we will see you soon. 